yourself a ticket for the show. Passed by all the acrobats, all the clowns in funny hats, went to see the animals below. Saw a tamer put his head into a lion's mouth, waited till the tamer man was through. Shook his hand and said, at taming wild ones, you're a bird. But just one thing I'd like to ask of you. Can you tame wild women? Can you tame wild women? You made a tiger stand and eat out of your hand. You made the hippo do the flippo. Honest, it was grand. But can you tame wild women? So they'll always lead a sweet and simple life. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Jordan from Smallville, That Cat Shepherd. This is episode 150, and we are part of the Batman Universe podcast network. And you can help support the Batman Universe by heading over to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe. My name is Tim, and joining me as always is Dane. What is up, Dane? Uh, nothing much, Tim, because <laughs> <laughs> after the realization, now, we, we've been talking about this for like two days now, Tim and I have... Um, I, I went to Amazon, uh, for, for, for those that, um, don't, don't know where I live. I live in Hawaii and I, I went to Amazon and I bought a graphic novel, um, and I paid for the overnight shipping and just out of curiosity, I, I, I asked him how much overnight shipping uh next day shipping whatever you want to call it is to him he lives in uh california mm. and, and i should say i was very curious what you're needing help for because you sent me a text saying yeah so if i need yeah. to ask you a huge favor I'm like oh <laughs> oh like are you buying your computer i go yeah but what's up <laughs> yeah well it, it 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 wasn't that important but I, I i just had to know i just had to know to you and it so was <laughs> i i I'd asked you what you pay for uh, next day shipping uh, on Amazon. Uh, Tim and I are both Prime members. Uh, not that that matters for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I asked him, you know, just put something regular in your in your cart and check out to the payment part, and then you know your your shipping and all that is listed and your final total and stuff. And he he put in a a video game and checked out and his total or his over his next day shipping was three dollars now if you're listening to this and 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 you live on the mainland uh u.s i guess i pay for next day shipping and it costs me 12.99 it's 13 (laughs) dollars um for next day shipping and the graphic novels was $14. So I paid like 27 and some change plus tax. Right. And so that is, that is so bizarre to me (laughs) (laughs) to, to quote Aquaman from Batman Brave and the Bold. That is outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. So I pay four times as much as Tim does. Or if you live on the mainland, I pay, uh, four times as much as you do for next day and the only reason why I'm a prime member because it's it's 
pretty much not really effective. I mean, it's it's not really effective if you live where I live. Yeah, um, because the two the free two day shipping is such a big feature of being a Prime member. Right, so right. Convenient. Yeah, it's so convenient. You, you know, you don't you don't pay for shipping if you're. I mean, you only pay three dollars for shipping, but um, there is no two day shipping uh, to Hawaii. It's it's seven to twelve standard. So you're 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 just getting shipping free, I guess, but you're getting the standard shipping free. Yeah, is like that it's how it something, works? but still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The big, I mean, you know, draw for Prime is getting your orders quick within yeah. a day or two for free, and the fact that you don't get that and where you're at is really, really stinks. Yeah, and I have used the standard shipping on just on important stuff, um, and it, it usually if you if you order it on a Monday, it's probably going to come maybe five days. Probably that next week, um, Monday, Tuesday. So, yeah, well, it's... The, the worst part, though, for what you just ordered, you said you ordered a next-day shipping. It didn't even come the next day, huh? Like, it took two days, didn't well, it? Well, technically it did, because I had ordered it Thursday morning, and it came Friday night. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, just it, barely made it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it came at 9 o'clock at night. Um I didn't know UPS works that late, but apparently they yeah, do. Neither did I. Yeah, I mean, I guess they just stay out till their truck is empty, <laughs> um, or they just forgot about yours. Like, oh wait, we got one more. Like, oh no, <laughs> gotta <laughs> head back out at nine o'clock. <laughs> but, but what I don't get is, I mean, I, I don't know how UPS works, right? But I literally live like ten minutes away from their receiving area. Okay. Yeah, like if if there's no traffic, I can get get down there. But like, I, I don't know why it took till nine o'clock. I mean, we'll, <laughs> would this be like one of your first stops? But I mean, or it'd be know. like one of their last stops while they do their route, and then on their right. way back, <laughs> the last stop is the closest one to the receiving right. like, center. I mean, I guess that guy was getting some overtime, some serious <laughs> overtime. <laughs> but uh, what was the graphic novel you got? Uh, Mouse by uh, Art Spiegelman. I don't know oh, okay. if you ever heard about that but yeah it's it's it's, it's a great graphic novel it's definitely worth that 13 dollars <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna i was my next question how like worth it was it for that <laughs> yeah yeah so n- not really happy that i have to pay 13 dollars knowing that you pay three dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> for your next day shipping i don't know it's it's just so th- th- that blew my mind tim like anyway. I, I just can't believe that I know when you told me how much you paid, and that you know you don't get the free prime shipping. Like, man, it's that much more over there in Hawaii. Yeah, Dane, you got to move out here. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's not only that; it's 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 also like we were talking about. It's also the price of food, uh, the price of groceries. It's it's every time I go to the mainland, it's so bizarre how cheap things are that I. I, I can buy like two or three of let's say I don't know let's say Oreos right uh, the, the 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 pack right and still or just pay a little over what I pay for one here <laughs> you know that, that that's so bizarre like I, every time you're down here you're, you go on a shopping spree <laughs> oh yeah yeah like like I. 
I, I literally just bought five Oreos or Oreo packets for no reason, and I paid less than what I would pay for one. <laughs> no. It was like you got to stock up and take a bunch of stuff back with you. <laughs> I know, right? I know. So, yeah, that. I, I mean, I guess that's just the price. Um, it's not only that; it's also gas, right? Um, I think mm-hmm. gas is like a little less than a dollar more here. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, it's about well, like how, three, three something. Well, how about movie tickets? How, how much would you say those are? Um, ten. 12 okay well that's pretty much the same as it is over here the guards is or at least where i'm at it's almost like at 11 now for standard showing oh really yeah so i guess that's not too bad yeah like 12 i think i think is the price yeah um, um, that's not too outrageous yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah but then again you know you're kind of just it, it it doesn't have to be imported here right well that's a good point yeah 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 so well at least that's just something <laughs> you know yeah. you don't have to pay extra for that we do over here but uh, yeah that, that, not that much of a consolation but it's something <laughs> yeah i mean i mean my, my mind is still blown that it's only three dollars to to ship something next day yeah well at least just through amazon so another through, yeah, site through, that are through, gonna be different. through amazon it, it's it it's it, my my mind is blown still. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, I, I was glad I was able to help blow your mind, even though it wasn't for a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not only that. It's also the fact that, you know, like I was saying, there is something specific that you want, right? Let's say you want the deluxe special edition DVD of the Dark Knight Rises or whatever, right? And Best Buy doesn't have it. Uh, Target doesn't have it. Walmart doesn't have it. Wherever else doesn't have it, right? And so your only option really is Amazon. And so it's kind of like, I guess I have to pay the price. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like it's, you know it's there, but you're just hoping you can find it somewhere, you know, <laughs> locally. You don't have yeah. to pay for shipping, but if you really want so, it. So when you go to Amazon you buy something, right, you don't take shipping into account. It's like, oh, okay, it's $3, whatever. Yeah. Or it's prime or shipping prime, or whatever. Free, yeah. Yeah. You see, everything I buy, I have to take into account the shipping on it. <laughs> it's it's so it's crazy. Like, I... It, it, it's just one of those like life-changing moments, Tim, <laughs> where you realize <laughs> that that like well, people th- th- there are people that don't care about shipping prices, and I guess you're one of them. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh, I'll say this, Dan. Next time I order something from through Amazon, I'm going to yeah. think of you when I look at you know. <laughs> Check out, place my order. I see the shipping, then I'll just be so thankful for how fortunate I am to yeah. not have to worry about it. And I'll think of you. <laughs> yeah. Let this be a cautionary lesson, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just be thankful for your shipping privileges <laughs> through Amazon. Uh, but I guess speaking of Dark Knight Rides, as you mentioned, we can yeah. go ahead and get into our minute by minute commentary. 
And we are going to be going from minute 98 through 99. Just one more to we reach that milestone of 100 minutes. So uh, go ahead and get all the standard formats that everyone's watching these days. VHS, Laserdisc, <laughs> Betamax. Uh, oh, got it below on Blu-ray now. Yeah. <laughs> HD DVD, your projector, your Netflix physical media, and of course your blockbuster video uh, membership. So if you got all those, you're ready to watch Dark Knight, right? Did, did you say uh, Netflix physical yes, subscription? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. Pretty sure I got everything. <laughs> the list gets bigger and bigger. Also, um, Netflix, you, you remember uh, when they were just the physical media? Oh, they, yeah. Or they just <laughs> sent the discs? You know uh, how, how much did that cost you? <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't the cost. It was the length of time that it would take uh, to get to you. I mean, I, I think I remember waiting like two or three weeks yeah. <laughs> uh, for uh, for the next DVD, you know. So like, would it be like, oh, man, I forgot I even ordered this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that I, I, uh, I don't know, I rented Jurassic Park 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jurassic Park 3 just came out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But I guess if you're all ready, we'll start the countdown with 3, 2, 1, go. And Dane, I just got to say right off the bat, as we saw Gordon and John Blake together, I think I know whose apartment that is. Who? I'm pretty sure it's John Blake's because we'll see if we'll get a shot right here. But I noticed... Because I was watching it about a week ago. Right. And you see a bike that's kind of in the corner of the apartment. Kind of like an exercise. Not an exercise bike, but one you would take out to you know, do a morning ride to yeah. get in shape. And I don't think Gordon is the type to do that. It seems like more something John Blake would do to keep fit <laughs> in okay. his young age. So okay. I'm going to say it's John Blake's. Oh, Man, we I'll buy, buy into that. We're not getting a good shot of it here yet, but it's there. Like, it's on the corner. Okay, are we going to get there? Here? Uh, we might have passed it or passed oh. commentary. But I will say, though, here, as Gordon's telling him why he did what he did to Blake, I love his speech that he gives here. And talking about the shackles and all that. But my favorite line, I don't think it's going to come. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> the next one will get my favorite line from this part. But I think I could close the book on whose apartment this is. Oh, I, and... and I mean, this is so obvious. I don't know why we didn't think of think of this immediately. Gordon has a house, and his family moved out of the city, mm. Mo- moved out or moved back to Chicago or whatever, right? Mm. Or to Cleveland? I think it might have been Cleveland, Cleveland, whatever, yeah. well, whatever it was. So he still technically has that house, but it could have been, you know, it's. Eight years have passed since the Dark Knight. Once his family left, he could have wanted something smaller, maybe just for him to live in. Oh, I see. And he could have gotten an apartment. So <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Never mind. <laughs> no, but I think that bike sells it. <laughs> that is yeah. Blake's. Well, it must be Blake's. I mean, I doubt Commissioner Gordon lives in a high tech, high rise condo. <laughs> <laughs> it could if he wanted to, but yeah, yeah, I guess. But we got that mystery solved. So, <laughs> But with that, I guess I can uh, go into our featured topic for this episode. And it's going to be a review of the latest DC animated movie, Gotham by Gaslight. Uh, 
And before get into it, got to go ahead and throw out the spoiler warning there because I'm going to go into <laughs> some big details on what happens in the movie, especially one of the big twists and reveals because it ends up being a big factor to uh, my thoughts on it. So I'll just throw the spoiler warning out there. If you haven't seen it yet, you might want to hold off to you know get the full enjoyment out of it with all the twists and turns the movie makes. You know, I do have a question, Tim. Are, What's are, are they still doing that sort of kind of anime style? Um, it wasn't. This one didn't feel like an anime. Mm. Because I know they were kind of leaning towards that um, before the Killing Joke came out, mm. and yeah, yeah I was just wondering uh, if they're still doing that. Because the beginning of Justice League Flash, the Flashpoint Paradox, kind of had that style to yeah. it before yeah. they get to the Flashpoint world. So they kind of do it here and there, but not lately. I guess it just depends on the type of story they want to tell with these, but. Uh, Gotham by Gaslight, as I said before, with the trailers, I was really excited about this one. And I will say right up front, I did not read the original graphic novel when it first came out. And usually before they announce these DC animated movies that are based off a comic story, I like to read it beforehand if it was something I never read before. But for this one, I decided to do the opposite. I was going to watch the movie first and then read the graphic novel afterwards. And I still haven't read it yet. I did buy it uh, digitally off the DC app. So I do have it. I just got to read it. I'll plan to do that soon. But for this one, I was hearing how, you know, it's going to be, you know, loosely based off it. They're going to take some things, but they're also going to do some things differently and take some liberties with certain characters. And I think having a few more familiar Batman characters in the story than what was in the graphic novel. So I just kind of wanted to go in the movie to just judge it for itself first before having the knowledge of the comic. And got to say, I think, that worked out really good for me because I really, really love this movie. It's definitely one of the best DC animated films in a while because every time I review one, Dane, and I know uh, you look for my recommendation, I sadly can't highly recommend <laughs> the last few of them to you because they've been kind of disappointing. But this one, it's really, really good. I think it's up there as one of the better ones. Probably my favorite since uh, Batman versus Robin, the one with the Court of Owls, which it's kind of a while ago now. So... <laughs> There's been ones that have been okay, some that have been disappointed, but this one is really up there. I just really, really enjoyed it. And just from a visual standpoint and a technical standpoint, I just love the art style and the direction they did with this. I mean, I know going into it with the trailers and everything, the idea of having a Batman story uh, set in, you know, 19th century Victorian era, it was just a really cool setting to have Batman, a Batman story take place in. And the premise of him going against Jack the Ripper is just really cool. And they really captured the feel of what Gotham City would look like in that era. And just having Batman operate during the streets of Gotham during that, you know, gas light period, <laughs> hence the title. It was just really cool. And I just love how it started off really nicely, too. It was, you know... It's setting up, you know, Jack the Ripper being the threat that he is. He murders uh, Poison Ivy uh, at the start of it. But during that, you get a, you get introduced to Batman as he's taking care of some uh, thugs who end up being a little kid versions of Dick, Jason, and Tim. I really like how they in- incorporated the Robins in here. It was, you know, something unique, but it worked well with the story. They're like these street orphans who are hustling this older couple for, you know, payment to cross uh, the block that they're on. And they're working for this older you know, guys trying to get money off of them. And so but was, it was a great introduction to Batman and the action sequence as Batman, you know, slowly, he doesn't do any, doesn't fight like a young Dick, Tim or Jason or anything, but Jason being, you know, the more aggressive one goes after him with a knife and Bruce just kind of casually uh, blocks it, knocks the knife out of his hand, uses battering to push it further. But then 
once their leader, you know, this older guy who's in charge of his their operation to get money, Batman t- goes to town with them and just really <laughs> lays it on him with a really cool fight sequence. And that was another thing about this movie that was really cool, the fighting style that Batman used. It was it fit that era where, you know, it wasn't, you know, really advanced martial arts that we see Batman do in some of the other movies like Batman versus Robin, which had some amazing fight sequences with uh, the talents. But this one, it's more fitting for that area, for that era, maybe a little more boxing style to it. And just the way he moved and the, the attacks he made with his punches and hitting certain joints <laughs> to his enemies, whether it's this guy here or his fights with Jack the Ripper later on, they were just really, really well done. So from an action standpoint, this one really delivered for doing something different. So, yeah, just the story itself, it was a good mystery story of trying to figure out, you know, Batman trying to figure out who Jack the Ripper is and to finally catch him. And another big thing about the story, which I knew already going in that a character they brought in for a major role that wasn't in the comic was Selena Kyle. And I thought she was used really well in this story uh, and just her you know, connection with Batman and how their relationship grew in here. And it's like, you know, Jack the Ripper is, is killing all these uh, women who, you know, are prostitutes during that era, like uh, showgirls, dancers and stuff who uh, Selena, you know, is concerned obviously they're getting killed but no one in gotham is concerned about them because you know they're not they're not important enough you know they're like the lower lowest of the low class of gotham no one's going to miss a prostitute if she gets killed and you know selena's not going to have that so she's if gotham's police not going to do anything she's going to have to do something so that's why she makes her presence known in gotham to try to take down jack the ripper herself but you know then she comes across his path with batman and they end up working together she you know meets up with bruce wayne and as always you kind of expect they would form a romantic relationship and she would they would discover more about each other where she knows she's uh, he's batman and she's never really takes on the persona of catwoman which i thought worked well you know and just having her be who she was as selena even though they had some nods of her being catwoman where she had a whip and her backstory was a little different too where she grew up in a circus and she always worked with the lions and you know that's kind of being her way into, you know, liking cats and just driving home of where, you know, she would take care of stray animals as a little girl in the circus. And then she would, you know, kind of take that into the next level when she came to Gotham, you know, like the young kids or women who were strays that nobody would care about or look after. She would, she would want to be the one to take care of them too. Hence why she wants to go after Jack the Ripper. So her story worked really well mixed in with Bruce. And one of my favorite elements of it, the story is how it mixed in Leslie Tompkins, as you know, she was a nun in the story who works at an orphanage and took in young orphans. And one of my favorite aspects of it was how Bruce and Selena had that connection where uh, Selena keeps saying, you know, a mutual friend. And it ends up being, you know, they're talking about Leslie Tompkins. How, of course, we know the relationship she had with Bruce and Batman stories being like uh, his surrogate mother. And that played a factor in here, too. And then Selena growing up in her orphanage as well, even though they never really knew it. But and so uh, Leslie Tompkins took care of them and how they both during different circumstances, but grew up and still took similar paths throughout their story and where they ended up in this film. So that worked good, too. And I loved how Leslie Tompkins was used and uh, some surprises here in this movie, which I really liked. I mean, it was a sad one, but one that I think, you know, that worked well for the story. And, you know, Bruce's you know quest to really bring down Jack the Ripper was Leslie Tompkins ends up being one of jack the ripper's victims and it was you know a suspenseful moment when bruce he realizes that she's going to be 
his next target. He tries to get to her in time, and but he does it. And just uh, when he finds her body, just the sense of you know despair and sadness that he had about letting her, her down. I, mean, I liked how it was shot too, because you don't necessarily see Bruce's facial reaction, but you just see it from behind as because you killed her right by a cemetery. And just when Bruce found the body, just the way you know he. Sh- shrugs his shoulders down he falls to the ground just feeling so empty and just uh, that failure he had of not being able to save her it was you just really felt that impact of bruce not being able to be there and then kind of you know losing one of his parents all, all over again after you know first experiencing the horrible tragedy of losing his real parents and then the one who took him in and helped raise him along with alfred losing one of them this had to be so tough for him to take and you really got that moment that that sense during that moment and what happens afterwards and really driving him to find Jack the Ripper. And once we get Batman confronting Jack the Ripper, there's just some, like I said, great action sequences. There was one where he chases him through Arkham Asylum and then on a blimp where Batman and him have a cool, there's a one shot, the cool like hand to hand fight. And there's this one shot where you just see them going against each other and you just see their silhouettes. You see kind of like the, brownish golden skyline and clouds in the background you just see their black silhouettes going at each other on the blow it was just a really cool shot that was directed well and then the there's action sequences that play on like again this is really well done they were directed the choreography is really good but one of the biggest surprises in the movie that i did not see coming and i thought worked really well there's something different you don't see too much at all in any batman stories was the identity of jack the ripper and this one, like, like I said, didn't see coming, but it was a big shock because they were, they were planning little red herrings of who you think it could be. They had Harvey Dent mixed in there who, you know, uh, there was a part in the movie where is Bruce kind of gets framed for being Jack the Ripper. He gets arrested and Harvey Dent is the one prosecuting him. And you think maybe he's behind it. He's setting him up. But that was kind of my first suspect. At the same time, like, oh, they're making it a little too obvious. I don't know if he's actually the one. And it ends up not being the case. And. The identity of Jack the Ripper was Commissioner Gordon. And I was blown away when they made that reveal because he played a role throughout the course of the film. You know, as Commissioner Gordon always does, being Batman's ally, they have a meeting together trying to, you know, give each other clues on what they can do to find Jack the Ripper and find out who he is. And Gordon would show up here and there doing uh, some of Batman's, you know, outings as he's chasing Jack the Ripper. You would see Gordon, but. Once they made that reveal, it was like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, I can't remember a story where Gordon was just flat out the bad guy. There was, you know, certain elements or Batman stories where they're at each other's throats and they're fighting against each other. I mean, over the edge from the animated series comes to mind. But, you know, Gordon was still, you know, the upright police officer wanting to do good and, you know, but not doing any crimes. He was just going after Batman for, you know, what he did to his daughter in that one or the role he played in her death. So, but this one, he was just a flat out, flat out evil. <laughs> I mean, he was having this warped sense of justice that he was cleaning up the streets of Gotham by killing all these prostitutes who make Gotham a, a dirty place. And he was, you know, kind of like his holy war type thing. It was this, this misguided sense of justice that Gordon had. I've never seen the character <laughs> displayed before in a movie. And seeing him and Batman go at it in the finale, this another great action sequences when you have a, like this fire in the background, they're having... You know, these, again, more great choreography fitting the style of that time. And once uh, Gordon mentions how, you know, bringing up 
killing Leslie Tompkins again and this the reaction it gives to Bruce and that's you know what really drives him to take him down and uh, makes you know seeing Batman defeat Gordon slash Jack the Ripper that much more satisfying when he tries to push Batman's buttons by bringing up someone bringing up how he killed someone he loved and then Batman's able to take him down just a lot of great stuff so yeah Batman's able to of course defeat Gordon but I was wondering is he gonna take him in is he gonna die and a worked out where batman did subdue him he had him handcuffed like tied him up to a rail on because they were fighting on a ferris wheel and the grounds of a uh, gotham's world's fair that they're planning to open but gordon wasn't gonna go be taken in he'd rather die and one of the more i guess uh <laughs> brutal ways graphic ways to show a character death which i don't think i've seen before in a, one of these dc animated movies gordon instead of wanting to be taken in there's fire going around all like behind them to the side of them in front of them just all around they're engulfed in flames so instead of gordon being taken in he just casually moves back handcuffed to the rail to where the flames are and you just actually see him get burned up i mean he's moving towards it and you just hear the screams and you see the flames engulf engulf him i was like oh man (laughs) that was a pretty brutal way to get taken out but that that's how the story ends and i guess one of my few nitpicks was i thought it kind of wrapped up uh, pretty quickly uh, because Batman was there with Selina because the whole reveal of how Gordon was Jack the Ripper was uh, Selina was going to inform Gordon at the fairgrounds, which is where Harvey Dent told her he was at. And she was going to tell him that Bruce Wayne is Batman and kind of clearing his name that it couldn't be Jack the Ripper because Bruce was in jail at that time. But once Selina got there, that's when uh, she put two and two together that Gordon was actually Jack the Ripper and she I had to fight for her safety against him and try to hide her way throughout the various uh, buildings in the fairgrounds before Batman showed up. And then they ended up kind of helping each other. She rescues him after, you know, the Ferris wheel explodes, bringing him to safety. And then Alfred comes in with uh, little Dick, Jason and Tim to help uh, get them back to safety. And then the movie just ends with Batman, Selena and the three Robins just riding away on the stagecoach with, with uh, Alfred uh, taking them back. And just how you know, the line saying Bruce will build a, build a better Gotham and all that type of stuff. So I was kind of expecting to see more of the aftermath of Batman defeating Jack the Ripper. Like maybe the mayor or Harvey Dent or the newspapers, the Gotham Gazette or something saying Batman defeats Jack the Ripper or Jack the Ripper's terror is over. But no, but it just ends with them riding on the stagecoats as you see the Gotham Fairgrounds uh, burning up. So I just thought it ended kind of abruptly. But other than that. It was just a really well done, well made movie from the animation style, the story, the uh, choreography of the fights, the action sequences, and then the performances. Uh, Bruce Greenwood back as Batman and Bruce Wayne. It was just so good to hear him again as Batman. I mean, he's up there as one of the better Batman voice actors. So it's been a while since we've heard him as Batman since Young Justice ended. So it was really good to have him back in the role. And then also uh, Jennifer Carpenter as uh, Selena Kyle. She did a great performance for this version of Catwoman. And <laughs> there was also a great sequence. There is a musical number in the in the film that Selena Kyle does, kind of as like a, a, sh- a showgirl performance. Right. And if you hear it, it's going to be stuck in your head. It's a really catchy song. I think I think this is called Wild Women is what the name of it is. It's like one of those show tunes that they perform on stage. It's just really, really catchy. So that was really cool. And then... Scott Patterson as James Gordon, he was this did a great performance, both as Gordon. And then once he's revealed to be Jack the Ripper, just, you know, he's really bought into, you know, how <laughs> just the madness that he kind of has and the reasoning for doing all these horrible things. 
he just sold it off really well in his performance. So that was great. And then I got to give props to the music by uh, Frederick Weedman in this movie. Uh, the DC animated films, got to be honest, the scores aren't really that memorable to me. I never walk away thinking, man, those scores are really good. There's been a handful of ones, uh, but this one really stood out to me. I love the music. It captured the atmosphere that they were going for, again, in this uh, visual style of 19th century Gotham. It just really, really good. And when there was action beats, there was good music that you know fit the tension and the action that was going on. And certain elements, especially in the intro, where you're just uh, seeing a little bit of Gotham as the camera pans in, you know, showing like, the overhead shots as you move closer into the city. Some of the music reminded me a little bit of Elfman's 89 uh, score, just a little bit. It had that feel to it, which, you know, was a pretty cool nod. I don't know if it was a nod, but I kind of took it that way because it just made me think of Batman 89. So, again, all in all, everything just came together really well in this movie, and I loved it. Definitely one of the better DC animated movies in a long time, like I said earlier. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one four and a half out of five it was really good and definitely up there is one of the better batman animated movies uh, i just loved it so dane it has my highest recommendation you should definitely check it out <laughs> okay good because uh, I, I i was gonna uh buy it but mm. but cool yeah i, I definitely but, think it's a buy no but but i'm not sure if the 13 dollars extra is gonna... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not usually buy digitally though yeah yeah i'll just buy it digitally <laughs> yeah <laughs> Definitely check it out. So, okay. I really enjoyed it, but um, got a couple of responses on Twitter from some of our followers on there to see what they thought. And first off, we got a response from Jim Bob Squarepants at Vintage GT. He actually wasn't a big fan of it. He goes, um, I was underwhelmed. I know it was only inspired by or based on, but I was disappointed at how much it ignored the original story. After the disaster, that was the killing joke. I really hope this would be a return to form. Won't be watching it again. Yeah, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it, uh, Jim Bob, but uh, I think that goes into what I was talking about earlier of why it was a good thing. I didn't read the graphic novel beforehand because I totally understand where Jim Bob's coming from here, where you just love a story so much in the comic and you're hoping to see a lot of it adapted faithfully into the movie. And when it's not, it could be, it could be disappointing to you. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And I'm just kind of glad I held off on reading the graphic novel. And then also from uh, the doctor, doctor with a K, um, at Dr. Uh, Girlfriend says, easily my favorite of the most animated or easily my favorite of the most recent animated Batman offerings. Bruce Greenwood's performance is excellent. Getting to hear him as Bruce and not just Batman has put him on equal footing with Conroy for me. He might be my new favorite. Not going to lie. <laughs> well, first off, glad to hear you enjoyed it. Uh, but Man, that's high praise for Bruce Greenwood, and it's hard not to argue with that, but uh, you know me. No one's ever going to top Conroy, but <laughs> Bruce Greenwood is probably number two in my book. He's like right beneath Conroy. He's that good. So, yeah, uh, Jim Bob and that, the doctor, thank you so much for your responses on Twitter. Kind of interesting to hear two sides of the spectrum, how they felt about the movie, one who didn't like it and one who really did, and, you know, that's what's great to get those responses to hear the different opinions on these different uh, animated movies or, you know, Batman stories that we're getting. So appreciate those responses. And again, I, I highly recommend the movie. So if you haven't checked it out yet, definitely put it on uh, your list of Batman movies to check out eventually, whether it's a buy or rent. So I think you'll really enjoy it. At least have it's a different type of Batman experience you'll get, which hopefully should be at least entertaining for you if you do watch it. 
so I guess with that, that's going to do it for our featured topic for this episode. And we can go on and get on to some news stories that happened over the past two weeks. And first off, we got kind of a big one that's uh, making the rounds this past week, which is that um, according to Variety, we got some news on the upcoming standalone Joker film, uh, which is going to be, you know, that Joaquin Phoenix is in talks to play the Joker in Todd Phillips directed standalone movie. And yeah, when I saw this, first off, it's one of those things that, you know, I guess made me realize that this movie is slowly getting more closer to reality because when we first got that announcement and, you know, how we hear so many different movies that are in development over at Warner Brothers, curious to see which ones are actually going to see the light of day. But it seems like this one might be one of the one of the few out of those that actually makes it into production. And if they're talking about casting getting close, then they're saying that Walking Phoenix, you know, he hasn't signed anything yet, but that Todd Phillips has offered him the role and that he has agreed to it. So I guess they have to work out the exact details and, you know, negotiate uh, his contract and all that. But we'll see if it all ends up happening. But uh, the prospect of Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker, I got to say, this was kind of surprising. And I know how great of an actor he is, but what surprised me most is kind of this version of the Joker that they wanted to be an older version because I've don't know how old exactly is, but it's got to be around, you know, his mid 40s, maybe closer to 50, I would think. Um, but and I kept we kept hearing how this is supposed to be a Joker origin story or, you know, at least this is going to show us uh, how he became the Joker in this universe or in this particular movie. So I would think that they would want to go with someone, you know, a younger actor to show that. But uh, they decided to go with Joaquin Phoenix. It's definitely an interesting choice. But again, with his acting chops, he should be able to <laughs> give off a different Joker performance we probably haven't seen yet, which is what I'm really would like to see something that's different. And, you know, as we talked about our last episode and our tributes to Heath Ledger, how, you know, his casting made me <laughs> come to the realization to never judge any casting announcements or in this case, potential casting announcements until we actually see the movie, because, you know, <laughs> how wrong everybody was when they were skeptical about Heath's performance. So, um, I don't know. I just found this one very curious. What was your reaction when you heard of Dane? Not just in the sense of the movie, but I guess yeah. how you would think Joaquin Phoenix would be as a Joker. You know, I think he's going to do a good job. You know, he's like a, a really good actor. So, yeah. Yeah, I think he's going to be good as maybe an older Joker, right? Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, unless the makeup they use really makes him seem young. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know if this is a a good idea to do this movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, I, that that still has me kind of hung up on. Yeah, I mean, there's still that skepticism, which I still kind of have about it too. Yeah, and like I said before, when we first got the announcement that they were planning this Joker movie, is how you know if Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix's performance, if he is cats, but ends up being better than Jared Leto's, and it's just a great Joker performance. You're going to want that in the main <laughs> DC movies continuity. So that whole potential of having to, these different versions that are going to be out there and, and wanting one in the other and vice versa <laughs> might be an issue for me anyway. But we'll have to wait and see. Again, this movie's still a long ways off before <laughs> we're actually seeing any footage of it or actually seeing the movie. So we got a ways yeah. to go. We'll just see what happens. So I guess what they're trying to say is, and in a way, I know this is a standalone movie that uh, Jared Leto grows up to be Joaquin Phoenix. I hope they don't go that route. 
fact is, I would be totally different. I mean, yeah. Just go that way. Yeah. <laughs> and then somehow do like, you know, if they do Flashpoint, we get Joaquin Phoenix's Joker in the actual continuity. <laughs> Jared Leto's is gone. <laughs> yeah. They're still going ahead with that, the Flashpoint? As of right now, yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows what happens, but like we said in our last episode, they found two directors for it, so we'll see if they last. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> But with some more immediate awesome uh, DC projects coming out very closely is the TMNT coming to Injustice 2. And oh boy, (laughs) we got our first trailer that shows gameplay footage of the Turtles fighting the different DC characters. And oh boy, was this like comic book heaven right here. (laughs) My favorite, two of my favorite comic book franchises, you know, DC and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in this game is going to be so good. And man, this trailer did not disappoint and it gave me a, a better idea of how the turtles are going to work in this game. But just visually, see them in, you know, the great graphics that Injustice has. Going, see them go toe-to-toe with different characters. I believe we saw some of them fighting Darkseid and Atrocitus. And I just can't wait to have turtles going against, you know, Batman, Green Lantern, Superman, Joker. It's just going to be so much fun. It really looks awesome. And just knowing how they're going to control, that was one of the more curious things of how it's going to work. And you're able to pick... Because uh, they're technically one character selection, you pick a turtle, but then once you pick that, you're going to be the Ninja Turtles. You're able to pick which one you want. That's kind of based off a of loadout because you can make custom loadouts for your characters. For instance, uh, for Green Lantern, you could choose a loadout that's John Stewart or Hal Jordan. So for the turtles, you can pick uh, the different four turtles that are out there. And I'm glad it's just not, you know, you pick a turtle. Well, let's say you start off with Leonardo, you want to be Raphael. It's not just a different character skin where they look different. They have all the same moves. They have a basic set of moves that are similar, but then depending on which turtle you pick, they'll have their unique special attacks, which is really cool. I'm glad they're not being lazy and just, you know, we'll design one set of moves. It'll be the same for all turtles and this look different. I'm glad they're taking the time to make each one of them unique. And it, it looks really fun. There are special attacks and then their uh, finishing move is really fun to all four turtles get involved. And depending on, the attacks you make, no matter what turtle you are, certain combos or attacks, you'll be able to bring out another turtle who finishes off the attack. So just a lot of great combination using the four turtles. And again, just visually, it just, man, talk about fan service, especially for me <laughs> when you're bringing the turtles in the DC universe for a fighting game. It just, just looking like everything I was hoping for. I just can't wait to finally actually play it, which should hopefully be soon. I don't think... They announced the official release date, but it probably should be by the end of February, I would think. And boy, I'm going to be playing a lot of that. <laughs> I just can't wait. Yeah, and speaking of the uh, Ninja Turtles, what what happened to their creators? Um, and how, how come they're not uh, talking to each other anymore? Yeah, I guess they, they kind of had a falling out over the it was years ago. So they kind of patched things up maybe about a, a few years ago. I'd be yeah. doing signings together and stuff like that. But I think this kind of creative differences really were kind of directions they wanted to take them because, and then uh, one of the creators, Kevin Eastman, he sold off like his portion of, of the rights. So it was a week where he didn't have any say anymore. So yeah. Peter Laird, the other co-creator, like back in the mid 2000s, he kind of had full control over the turtles. And that's when uh, they started the 2003 animated series, which was really good. And like, they did a lot of faithful adaptions of those early comic stories of the turtles but then eventually when he was done with that, Peter Laird sold uh, the full rights to the Turtles to Viacom. And uh, oh, that's where Nickelodeon got control of it. And yeah. Nickelodeon has the rights to it now. 
So now Kevin Eastman, the one who sold off his portion of the rights first, he's yeah. kind of more involved now with Turtles uh, out of the two where he, you know, he, you know, lends his talents or, you know, uh, I guess advice, advice to certain projects like the 20, 2012 animated series. And even for the more recent IDW comics, he comes up and collaborates a lot with Tom Waltz on the stories, the writer of that uh, series, and they craft the stories and outlines together. So Kevin Eatsman right now is the one who's more involved with Turtles and uh, the stuff that's going on with all the various projects. Oh, so it it was more of a, uh, they just didn't get along anymore. Not not like a, you know, I think the Ninja Turtles should have a TV show and a movie, and the other guy thinks that, no, we should just do the comic yeah. sort of thing. They, like I said, they've been working on it for a long time, or together for a while, so I guess it got to a point where it was kind of time to part ways, and I think Kevin yeah. Eastman wanted to do some other stuff, but... Like I said, they kind of patch things together now, and they're just celebrating that this this comic story that they kind of just based off a parody of Daredevil has turned into this global phenomenon that's still going strong today, <laughs> and they're just enjoying that and just happy to see that everyone's still fans of the Turtles, which is nice. So it's not like a feuding thing that's going on or anything yeah. like that anymore. Right, right. Oh, good. Yeah. I will recommend if you're ever intrigued to see the story of the creators of the turtles and how they began there's a great turtles documentary called turtle power which is like showcases like or just in uh, does a great job of chronologically showing how you know they created the turtles and how it blew up in the mid 80s and early 90s and just kind of how they went about their business as independent comic publishers for a while it was very fascinating stuff so anyone interested in that definitely check out the documentary i think it came out in 2014 if I remember, it's called Turtle Power. It's really good. And I think it's on YouTube for where you can just watch for free. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally forgot that um, uh, the Ninja Turtles started in an in independent comic, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's from humble beginnings. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't apply more to the Ninja Turtles. Was it, <laughs> it just, uh, self-released or was it uh, through a publisher? No, it was themselves um, mirage comics was the comic company that they started and they oh, published wow. it themselves yeah oh, i think it was like good. one of them took a like took a loan or borrowed some money from one of their uncles to help publish the first few issues <laughs> and just grew on from there oh good good yeah so it is kind of a feel-good story for you know these independent creators who were able to do something very successful and reap the benefits of it and it's, it's cool to see yeah but with that, that's going to be it for the news and discussion topics uh, that caught my eye for this last few weeks. So we can go ahead and move on to a conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. And as always, Jordan has sent us an email and he begins by saying, hey, Tim and Dane and Alex. And I should say his first sentence here is all in caps with multiple exclamation points. <laughs> he says, we have a wedding date. Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle are getting married on July 4th in Batman number 50. When this news drops, I literally ran around my house doing a happy dance and screaming for a couple of minutes. I think I finally know what euphoria feels like. So much of Tom King's Batman run has been an absolute dream come true for me. But this is the moment I've truly been waiting for. Seeing my OTP walk down the aisle. I had a feeling King might choose issue 50 for this to happen. It seems very fitting. A lot of King's run has been a love letter to the Bat-Cat relationship. And for them to get married in the first big milestone issue of that run just feels right. Let the countdown to July 4th begin. I couldn't be more excited. I, do, I know you guys don't think this is going to last, but I'm totally convinced it will. 
King has shown over the course of his run that he seems to be a huge bat cat shipper too. And I do think that he views them as uh, an end game, just like I do. Let the countdown to July 4th begin. I couldn't Uh be more excited. Uh oh. (laughs) This is one of the most exciting events in the history of my bat fandom. Bat cat forever from the first kiss to the last. (laughs) Uh oh. Jordan is. uh, Well, hopefully he's right for him, I guess. But, you know, I've been. I've been reading comics a long time, right? Mm-hmm. As as well as you, and most of our listeners, and even if you haven't, right? Let's say you picked up the books after Rebirth or the New Fifty Two. You know, if there's one thing in comics that's everlasting, it's the fact that it's not everlasting. Nothing yeah. ever, <laughs> everlasting. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's it's going to go good for, like, I'd say six months. And then I think next year it's going to be over. You know, that sounds about right. I mean, I totally <laughs> agree. None of this, like, big event stuff that happens where the status quo changes lasts forever. And I'm hoping at least, you know, just from a story standpoint and for Jordan's sake, too, that at least a year. If we can get a year of Batman yeah. and Silly Mary, I think that would be longer than expected for me, to be honest. <laughs> so hopefully it lasts that long. But, and you know, to keep Jordan's excitement up, too. But he continues saying, Dane, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts as you make your way through Smallville. I can personally attest to what is super, pun intended, experience it is watching the show for the first time. I obviously can't promise that this will be your experience, but the characters are just so endearing and I got extremely invested in all the journeys very quickly. To answer your question, yes, Clark and Lana's relationship on the show is incredible. Clark is in love with Lana right from the start, but it's beautiful watching Lana come to realize how much she loves Clark as well. While their relationship has some major road bumps along the way, the journey you take with them is remarkable. So, Dane, I know we talked about our last episode. Have you even begun your Smallville watch yet? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's not a show for me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's putting it nicely. <laughs> maybe maybe it's the fact that now it's like, how old is it? Like 15 years old, maybe? Yeah. More than that, actually. Yeah. Oh, it started really? in the fall of 2001. Oh, wow. So uh, 17 years old, 16 years old. Uh, it's a 16 years old sh- uh, um, show, right? And I think, uh, I don't know, I just don't, it's it's not for me. I think I made it to the third or fourth episode. Um, he kind of uh, develops his... Um, Uh, what is that called? The uh, the X-ray vision. Okay. Mm. Yeah, and he um, I can't remember if he stops a bank robbery or something, or he sees it or something. It I just can't remember. Puts it to use to stop him, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, it's it's not for me, and I don't know. I I think it's I think it's because it's like a sixteen-year-old show. Um, Again, like I don't think they do the Clark and Lana thing very well, uh, especially like where, where, where he's kind. Of, it it, it kind of reminds me of the Superman Returns, Lois and uh, Clark. 
Mm-hmm. I can see that. It's kind of like, is he okay? This is getting a little creepy. Too creepy for me. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, you know, Superman and Superman Returns looking out their window from a distance, Clark looking through his telescope <laughs> at her house. <laughs> so, why, so, like, every night you you uh, go up and you look at your look at her house through your telescope <laughs> and i guess but yeah it's 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 not really for me um i understand why people like it especially like those uh cw fans that really like um um you know all of their shows that you know are are, are kind of like soap dramas mm um, I can see why people like them, um, but yeah, it's not for me. It's just like how Arrow is not for you anymore, Tim. It seems like. Well, it's uh, season four. It definitely wasn't for me. So, like I said, season five, great. This season's just been kind of like meh. It's not horrible, but it's not great either. So <laughs> I'm still watching it. Still yeah. gets somewhat of enjoyment for me, but just like it's just there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but. But Dane, I'll applaud you for at least giving it a shot for three or four episodes. Yeah, it's it's not for me. Uh, I can understand why people like it, and you know, you you you're probably you're probably correct in you liking Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should at least watch the final episode to see how it all ends. <laughs> Jumping from the very first four to the very last and see how that experience is. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I really want to find the. Um, uh, the Christopher Reeve ones. Okay, I'm not sure what season he was in. It's season two. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I thought it was like season five, episode twenty. You know, I don't know. Oh no, yeah, it's two. definitely definitely uh, season two. I just don't know exactly what episode number it is. Okay, but I would hope at least in the thumbnail, like when you choose your episode yeah you'd be able to like hopefully have christopher leave it or christopher lee christopher reeve <laughs> in there and right. you'll be able to know which one it is right okay and though uh, that is a good episode he's only in one no he's in two because i think he shows oh. up in season three. Oh, in okay all right yeah so that if you're gonna watch any more uh, i would put those at the top of the list for ones to check out and cor- correct me if i'm wrong did did uh, Smallville have its own comic? I remember a comic, that's why. Uh, it might have when it was airing. I'm yeah. not sure. I, but it, then after it ended. I mean, not you know, now. This, yeah, not now. I mean, w- when it was still on the air. When it was on the air, I'm not sure. I, I'm just familiar with the ones that, like Smallville Season 11, the comics that came out where they finally got to see Batman in that universe. But I'm not sure hmm. if there was any that came out when the show was airing. It might have. Yeah, I thought I, I thought I remembered seeing a Smallville comic book, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just like a tie-in or something. Yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. You know, I like to have these tie-ins <laughs> with popular shows that come yeah. out. So, but uh, now that we got Dane Smallville update, I'll continue <laughs> with Jordan's email. He goes, um, "Here's another recommendation, Dane. Batman Annual Number Two, of course." I know you dropped Tom King's run, but this issue really does stand alone and can be read without any knowledge of everything else that's going on. It's an absolute masterpiece. There's a reason why I called it my favorite piece of fiction I've ever read and said I wanted to be buried with it. And yes, I can attest to Jordan on that one. That That is a great story no matter where you are in the Batman continuity. Really? It, yeah, it's especially with Batman and Catwoman. It's a oh, great the culmination one they, um... of, of the history of their relationship. 
The the one where uh, Bruce uh, proposes to Selena. No, this is the one that kind of shows like the future of them kind of as older uh, individuals oh, showing yeah, yeah. like they're still living together at an old age and kind of showing, you know, what happens to them. So. Well, I, I mean, I'm not against it. I'm not one of those people that, that are against it. I think it's just um, it's not going to last very long. <laughs> <laughs> you might not be wrong, but at least en- enjoy these stories while we can as they're coming out <laughs> because of how long they last. <laughs> Uh, we continue saying, I am very excited to see the Superman bonus scene from Justice League. In the little promo they put out for the home video release, they played the Man of Steel theme when they teased uh, the bonus scenes. Perhaps my biggest complaint with the entire movie was that the Man of Steel theme, which is one of the most moving and inspirational pieces of music I've ever heard, was almost non-existent. If we can get a couple of more Superman scenes with that music featured, I will be very pleased. Yeah, just yesterday they released... I guess the first half of that deleted scene that shows Clark going back into his ship and seeing uh, different versions of the Superman suit. And they even had the black one that everyone wanted to see when he came back and they played, you know, the classic Hans Zimmer Man of Steel theme in there. It was pretty cool, but it was only half of it. So looking forward to seeing the other half when we finally get the Blu-ray release. But I mean, the digital comes out just in a few days after recording this episode. And again, I'm going to have to wait a month till I can finally get it. And it still irks me. But... Just by both, Tim. I but mean, it comes with the digital copy code. If the Blu-ray did not come with the digital copy code, I would get it digitally. Okay, but put it, it's hard put, to justify put, that. Put it this way, Tim. Let's just say that you live where I live. <laughs> so, technically, the digital copy that you buy ahead of time is the shipping. <laughs> you know what when you put it that way it pretty much is <laughs> oh man yeah well, that might justify it but i don't know <laughs> oh man that's still crazy <laughs> yeah. uh jordan continues saying tim and i talked a bit about this on twitter but i'll discuss it further here i'm not completely sold on scott snyder taking over justice league why well snyder is kind of hit or miss for me and the biggest miss of, of hits for me is the current project he's working on, Dark Knight's Metal, which is a story of his that seems most indicative of what might, uh, what his Justice League series might be, since while it centers primarily around Batman, it is a quasi-Justice League story. So that makes me a little bit nervous about him taking over Justice League. That being said, I'm not totally against it. There is a lot of Snyder stuff I really liked or even loved, like The Black Mirror, Court of Owls, and Death of the Family. Also, whatever he does will still likely be a slight improvement over most of the Justice League rebirths so far. I'm remaining optimistic for now. Speaking of Dark Knight's Metal, I read issue 5, and it's probably the best issue of the series so far in my opinion. I mean, I suppose that that's not really saying much given my thoughts on the previous issues, but I did enjoy this one quite a bit. Spoilers, it's relatively coherent for a change. It's not as convoluted and confusing as the previous issues. The Batman Who Laughs continues to be the highlight of the series, as he is just so creepy. I love seeing Martian Manhunter return. He's been teased a couple of times in Christopher Priest's Justice League run, and we know he's involved in Justice League No Justice, so it was really cool to see him appear here in Dark Knight's Metal. Things wind up looking pretty dour by the end of the issue, as each one of the different missions wind up failing. It did also close out one of the uh, or it did also close out with a fist pump moment, though, as Wonder Woman and Kendra Saunders went into battle, which was pretty awesome. Overall, I still wouldn't say I loved it, but it was very good. And after what came before, I'll totally take that. 
yeah, I pretty much agree with you on that one, Jordan. It was enjoyable, but again, it's just there's only one more issue left, and I'm you know just waiting to see how it all wraps up. I don't think it's the next issue is going to drastically change my opinion on it. It's not going to be like a story that I thought was horrible or just extremely a waste of time. It just you know. I hold high, I hold Scott Snyder's storytelling in high regard, and this one just didn't live up to that expectations for me. Again, a lot of convoluted stuff that you have to you know about going into it. And again, another thing that I think really kills it is all the tie-ins that are with it. I mean, you know, it's going back to those old days where there was a lot of tie-ins to the big event series that really, you know, if you don't get everything, you're missing out on story points. And I made a decision not to get the tie-ins for this one. And just to see how Dark Knight Metal flows just on itself. And it appears the tie-ins do flesh out things, especially with some of the Nightmare Batman and the one, especially the one that's uh, referred to as the Batman Who Laughs, the Joker version of Batman, which, uh, yeah, he does have a good presence in here. But since I haven't read the tie-ins, I can't really get that full effect that you were talking about here. Um, I think, And I think that they're trying to go for as I'm just reading the main storyline of Dark Knight's Metals. I do plan probably to read some of those tie-ins, probably uh, in particular the Batman Who Laughs, maybe digitally once they kind of drop in price, as they intend to do the longer they've been released. So I'll probably check those out, but it uh, probably won't be till after Dark Knight Metals wraps up. So yeah, this one was enjoyable, like you said, Jordan, but at the same time didn't do anything to really change my opinion on the story overall. But then Jordan continues with Gotham by Gaslight by saying, uh, Batman Gotham by Gaslight, guys. Wow, this is hands down my favorite animated film of all time. I completely loved it. Spoilers, it's a much looser adaption of the comic than I was expecting. But what it adds is amazing, particularly involving Selina, of course. Jennifer Carpenter was incredible as Selina. I totally loved the portrayal of her. They didn't make her a villain at all, and they explored the Bat-Cat relationship so beautifully. As soon as Bruce and Selina make eye contact in the World's Fair at the beginning of the film, Selina smiles at Bruce, and you can see that there is an immediate connection between the two. They meet again after that, this time with Bruce and Batman, though, with Bruce as Batman, and we get an incredible scene of them fighting together against the Ripper. I love seeing Batman and Catwoman fight crime together so much, and, as, and this was a great example of that. When Bruce and Harvey are watching Selina's show later, Harvey remarks, Selena is the most amazing gal, Bruce. You'll see. Bruce responds, I think I already do. Bruce instantly has a fascination with and an attraction to Selena. The scene at the Dionysus Club afterwards shows just how well Bruce and Selena understand one another. I've said before how Bruce and Selena understanding one another in ways no one else does is one of the most important things about their relationship. Selena calls Bruce out on pouring his drinks into potted plants, and Bruce pretty much recounts Selena's whole life story to her which includes a nod to Batman Returns, as Bruce says that he notices she's concealing a scar on her left arm, just like she did in Batman Returns when she and Bruce were making out in Wayne Manor. Later on, Selina rescues Bruce as he's fleeing the police. It's where it's here, or it's here where she finds out that he's Batman, and it's also here where she helps him evade the police by making out with him. Once the police allow them to go on their way, Selina gives Bruce some advice on committing to a role. Repetition. You must practice, practice, practice. However, neither one of them is still just acting at this point. I love that scene so much. Bruce uses that advice later on in the film, which he has to put on an accent and pose as a guard to escape from prison. Bruce and Selina spend the night together at her place, and then in the morning there's a scene between the two of them that brought tears to my eyes. It further reinforces how well they understand one another. 
Bruce and Selena look out the window and tell one another about their lives and why they do what they do. Bruce tells Selena about his parents, and she just takes his hand and comforts him. And they look out into each other, or and they then look into one one another's eyes. I'll throw a line from Catwoman's love letter to Batman in number in Batman number ten. When we kiss, the pain goes away. You feel that too, right? How just for a second, just that second, the pain is gone. Now, in that particular scene from Gotham by Gaslight that I'm bringing that line up in relation to, Bruce and Selina weren't locking lips, but I think that quote still applies. Just for a second, when Bruce and Selina held hands and looked in one, into one another's eyes after sharing the stories of the pain in their lives, the pain subdued for both of them. That right there is a beautiful, touching example of why I love the Bat-Cat relationship as much as I do. There's another moment between Bruce and Selina later in the film that also brought tears to my eyes. After the incredible final battle with Jack the Ripper, was Jack stepping into the fire to burn himself alive one of the most haunting scenes ever or what? Yes, I totally agree, as I said in my review for that. Definitely didn't see that coming. Selina stays to help Batman get out of the World's Fair. To bring up something from King's Batman run again, a theme is that Bruce and Selina catch one another when they fall, both literally and metaphorically. Alfred and the Robins, who are integrated into the story in such a cool way, complete with a Johnny Gobbs reference, which uh, I believe is a reference to the story the two mobsters or the two robbers were telling in the first 89 Batman film when they were talking about how Batman <laughs> got to him, which is always pretty cool. And then came or then come and pick up Batman and Selina. And I couldn't have imagined a better ending for this movie. Batman and Selina ride off into the sunset happily ever after, presumably continuing the relationship together. I mean, it is very similar to how the Dark Knight Rises ended. And I, of course, couldn't be happier about that. As for the other stuff in the movie, they changed who the Ripper is, but I thought the reveal was brilliant. It made sense. Gordon's motives in this film are basically an extremely twisted version of what his motives in traditional canon are. He's trying to clean up the city, but in a completely different way. The reveal scene when Batman went to Gordon's house was pretty horrifying. There were some other great Batman character appearances in the film. I enjoyed seeing Hugo Strange, Leslie Tompkins, and Cyrus Gold. Also, I think Marlene was supposed to be the nod to Harley Quinn, since she was voiced by frequent Harley voice actress Tara Strong, who gave a very Harley-esque performance as Marlene. And the name Marlene rhymes with Harleen. Yeah, I agree with that, Jordan. I did kind of got a Harley vibe for Marlene, too, kind of like an old, <laughs> old crazy lady version of Harley Quinn. So I definitely got that vibe, too, and probably was intentional, I imagine. Uh, speaking of the voice cast, it was extraordinary. I already brought up how amazing Carpenter was at Selena. Bruce Greenwood has, all, has honestly probably become my favorite Batman voice actor at this point, and it was great to hear him repraising his role from Batman Under the Red Hood and Young Justice. Both their performances were made even better by how well they played off one another as they portrayed the Bat-Cat relationship. Scott Patterson was another standout for me. The scene where he's with Selina and switches voices from benevolent Gordon to terrifying Jack the Ripper was so scary. This is an amazing, suspenseful Batman detective movie. And the way it showcases the Bat-Cat relationship made me so happy. As I said, this is my favorite animated movie ever. I had the highest of expectations for it, and it surpassed every lofty one of them. Well, glad to hear you really enjoyed it as much as I did. Probably more than I did, Jordan. I wouldn't put it quite as top as my favorite of all time. It's up there, but nothing's going to top Mask of the Phantasm for me. So it's, it's, it's a high bar, but I don't know any movie could reach that. But this one was definitely so well done as 
I said. The only thing I guess where we disagree a little bit on is the how it ended. You thought it ended great. I just wish there was a little more added to it, to kind of showing the aftermath of you know the fallout of Jack the Ripper. So, but that's just a minor quibble. And as always, Jordan has some questions. He goes, "Who do you think will be Bruce's best man and Selena's maid of honor at their wedding in July?" I think there are a few great choices for both, but my guesses would be Dick as Bruce's best man and Holly as Selena's maid of honor. Yes, I know she killed 237 people, but she and Selena are so close that I think Selena might still invite her to fill that role. Yeah, that's a good question, Jordan. I think I think Batman has three top choices. Dick obviously being one, uh, Alfred being another. And I guess I w- I'm also going to throw Superman is there because you kind of got like Alfred as his father, Dick as his son and Superman as his best friend. But. I don't know. I think I'd probably go with Alfred over all three of them just because of how much time they spent together and how close they are. And Alfred always being there for Bruce, I think it would make sense for him to be the best man. So I would choose Alfred. And for Selena, um, yeah, maybe it will be Holly Robinson, but I don't know. She she does have a pretty bad rap sheet, as you pointed out there. I wouldn't be surprised if Lois actually ends up being her maid of honor after the story we got on their double date in the last few weeks of Batman. I could see that happening. So I'll go with Lois on that one. And how about you, Dane? What characters would you want to see as part of the wedding festivities for Bruce and Selena? Uh, hmm, who would I like to see? Uh, how about Ace? <laughs> Ace the Bat-Hound? Yeah, Ace the Bat-Hound. <laughs> he could be the ring bearer. He could just walk up with you know the ring yeah. <laughs> on like his harness or something. <laughs> Well, or or maybe the the T Rex, yeah, from uh, the Bat Cave. You know what? They should you know they should get the animals involved. Have Ace the Bat Hound be with Bruce, and Selena could have one of her cats. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. There we go. And Jordan's second question is: What is your favorite scene in Gotham by Gaslight? I love every single scene, but my absolute favorite is when they're at the window talking about their origins. As I said when I was talking about the movie, it reinforces how well Bruce and Selena understand one another. And when they hold hands and look into one another's eyes, it's so beautiful. An example of their relationship, helping the pain of their past subside for both of them. You can see how much Bruce and Selena truly one another in that, love one another in that scene. Yeah, as you mentioned there in your review of the film, Jordan, this Bruce and Selena stuff was great. And it was really handled really well and, you know, in particular for the story that we're telling here, different, but yet it worked so good in this setting. But uh, as much as I love that stuff, my favorite scene actually comes from the aftermath of when Bruce uh, finds that uh, Leslie Tompkins has been murdered and this conversation he has with Alfred. I just really love the dialogue that Bruce and Alfred had there. I mean, once uh, Alfred's walking up, he tries looking for Bruce in his penthouse, but he doesn't see him in his room. So he walks up. Not to the Batcave, but kind of like an attic area where Bruce is, you know, has, does all his Batman work in. And as Alfred walks up there, I love the dialogue. He goes, I laid out your morning clothes there. And Bruce just replies, says, I have my own manner of mourning. You know, obviously referencing how he's feeling about Leslie not being there. Then Alfred says, revenge. And Bruce just goes, her blood cries out for it. I just love that because, as I mentioned in my review of the film, this is almost kind of like, Bruce losing another parent again and just how much this is going to drive him to take down Jack the Ripper. And as I said, this makes it more satisfying when he does, because I mean, to me, this is what I love about Batman when, you know, he loses 
starting with his parents, he loses someone that he loves. It just drives him like no one else would. And just being so determined to, you know, get justice or revenge, however you want to look at it. But Bruce is going to make sure uh, what has happened, you know, doesn't happen again. And I just love how Bruce is kind of taking it as like he lost another family member and how much Leslie meant to him. So this that whole drive that this moment had and just getting this side of Bruce and as he's talking about this is his way of mourning, but yet his way of mourning is trying to seek justice for losing Leslie Tompkins here. So I just really love that sequence and the dialogue that Bruce and Alfred had in that moment. So I would put that one as my favorite. But as you said, it's a movie full of great scenes. So it kind of – I wouldn't say it's kind of hard to pick one because this one was a standout for me. But you can't go wrong choosing the many various moments in this movie. There's just a lot of them. So that would be mine. And that's going to be it for Jordan's email. As always, thank you for sending an email, Jordan. Always enjoy hearing your thoughts on the happenings that's going on in the Batman universe over the last two weeks. And we'll look forward to your next one. And with that, we can go ahead and get into our comic book reviews for this episode. And for this one, I'm going to be reviewing Batman number 40 and Detective Comics annual number one. And as always, got to say, there's going to be tons of spoilers as I go through the reviews of these books. So if you haven't read them yet, make sure you uh, hold off on hearing this portion of the show, read those two issues, and then come back and hear uh, what I have to say about them. So as always, before we get into it, we got to have a rating scale. And I don't know what, Dane, I think it has to be something in regards to uh, your shipping from Amazon. <laughs> About uh, uh, dollars I have to pay, dollars Dane has to pay for shipping. Oh, yeah, more dollars you have to pay since <laughs> it's so much expensive. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Batman number 40. And uh, this one, you know, it's continuing off that big controversial ending for Batman number 39 where Wonder Woman and Bruce were going to have a kiss. And would they? Would Batman cheat on Catwoman? And, of course, the answer was no. <laughs> and I speculated when I was reviewing the last issue what could happen. And it played out exactly like I thought it was. Bruce and Diana were leaning in towards a kiss. But then the, Bruce stops himself. He just says, no, we can't. And Diana just starts laughing like, yeah, of course we can. You know, this is ridiculous. Like, I love Selena. And Diana just goes, hey, and I love Steve Trevor. And, you know, just says how the love you have for her is so good. So you have to be good to her. And it was a funny moment where she said, you know, and if you're not, you know, I'll come and find you and, like, hit you so hard your little pointy bat ears will fall off. So it was one of those things where kind of lessens the last issue. But just in general, the storyline and the tease that are trying to set up and, and I kind of the cliffhanger and try to throw a wrench in the Batman Catwoman relationship. It all sent for nothing, really. Just kind of almost like a publicity stunt just to get people to think, oh, no, could this be the end of it? I got to see what happens here. And it ended up amounting to nothing. So it was kind of predictable. But throughout the course of this issue, uh, Selena's is stick is, you know, stuck with, uh, with uh, you know, the person who took Bat or the person that Wonder Woman and Bruce took the place of in that realm. Uh, where, you know, they're fighting off these hordes and hordes of monsters. And, you know, uh, Selena has the gentleman, you know, her <laughs> boot on his face. As once uh, the gentleman told her that, you know, the time that passes there is so long, you know, it's been 10 years already that Bruce and Diana have spent in that realm. And he wants to go see his wife uh, one more time before he has to go back. And so Selena takes him there. They agree, you know, only briefly can you see her. 
And, you know, I got to say, I kind of felt bad for the gentleman here. I thought Selena could have been a little more understanding. I know she's desperate to get Bruce back and not have him spent, you know, many more years in that realm. But, you know, the gentleman has stayed in there for thousands beyond thousands of years. And he gets this one chance to be in the normal life and to see his wife. And Selena's all, you know, hurry up. You know, <laughs> you only get to see her briefly. So I understand what she was coming from. But I thought she could have been a little more understanding knowing how long the gentleman has been, been away. And then we get cutbacks to Bruce and Diana fighting in that realm. Uh, you know, it's been, you know, get year 19. I believe it goes all the way up to year 30 or 40. It's they've been there a pretty long time. And then I like how it contrasts. In one moment we flash back, we see Bruce saying, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And Diana is there to help him get through it and to continue the fight. And then we see uh, several more years go by. Diana saying that, you know, I can't do it. And Bruce is there to help her get through it, saying, you know, we're together. And then it's mixed in with some levity moments where Diana's saying, you know, does Superman have to say up, up and away every time? And Bruce is all, yep, yes, he does. <laughs> so they're kind of having some fun during some years and then other years where they're just saying they can't get through it. But probably my favorite moment between them is where Bruce is saying how he misses everyone and how he says he misses uh, his dog Ace. So maybe he will play a role in the wedding day. I don't know. <laughs> Bruce is missing him this much. <laughs> then Wonder Woman goes on to say how she misses her kangaroo <laughs> and how that shocks Bruce not knowing she had a kangaroo. So those moments were enjoyable, but they were just, you know, pretty short. And so uh, the gentleman is, is going to, you know, listen to Selena, is going to go back, let Bruce and Diana leave. It was year 37, I believe, was the final count that they were in there. And again, you don't age in that realm. So even though 37 years has passed, Bruce and Diana aren't aging at all. So the gentleman takes their place. Bruce and uh, Wonder Woman go back to the real world. And he, Bruce sees Selena and then they were talking about what happens if he comes back again and offers this. And I like how Batman just goes, you can tell him he can go to, and then Calvin just goes, bat. And he goes, tell him we'll be ready and willing to help again. But then Catwoman says, but this time I'll be there with you. So if this ever comes up again, it will be Batman, Wonder Woman, and Catwoman fighting off that horde of monsters. And then it ends with Bruce kind of telling Catwoman about the almost kiss that he had with Wonder Woman saying, you know, I have to tell you something. Like there was a moment and she goes, you know, you were in there 37 years with Wonder Woman. Like, were you bad? He goes, not bad enough, but also not good enough. And he goes, and she just goes, well, we'll have to just try harder. So, yeah, it was an okay story. I felt it was kind of unnecessary to put that moment in there with Bruce and Diana. Like, the will, will he kiss? Will he betray Selena? So, this sounds unnecessary, but it was still kind of a fun story. So, I'll give this one three out of five more dollars that Dane has to spend on shipping than I do. And next, we're going to go into the Detective Comics Annual Number One. And I know I haven't, uh, I've been a little behind on Detectives, which is I haven't, why I haven't reviewed it on several episodes. But I did get caught up on the last story arc, uh, The Fall of the Batman, which dealt with the crime syndicate coming back and trying to tear apart the Bat Team, mainly dealing with Clayface, where they were going to turn him against the team and really bring out the monster. And let all of Gotham see that Batman has been working with a criminal who is actually, you know, a real monster. And the crime syndicate succeeded in that. They were able to turn Basil into, you know, really bring out the monster in him as Clayface and terrorize the city. He really went into ultra Clayface mode and just, you know, a huge monster bringing down a portion of Gotham. And it took all the Bat uh, team members to bring him down. But it did have a cliffhanger ending where we know... The relationship between Clayface and uh, Orphan, Cassandra Kane, they were really close. And she's the only one who can kind of get to Basil Carlo and have him snap out of, 
you know, that crazy state he was in. And she did for a minute. But then that last issue of that story arc ended with Batwoman. It was shooting him right in the head with a special weapon that her father gave him, looking like she killed him. And but the issue doesn't the issue ended right there. And so we don't know what his fate is. And I have a feeling that's going to lead into what the future Tim Drake was talking about, a Batwoman doing something really bad that's going to set off a chain of reactions and uh, circumstances throughout the team that's probably going to cause some fallout. So we'll see what happens as we get the next story arc. But um, the annual has to do with the origin of Clayface. It's coming off that story arc that really had Clayface featured as the main character. And this was a really, really good issue. And just like Mr. Freeze uh, through Batman the Animated Series and how his origin in Heart of Ice became his new origin in the comics canon, I can say the same now for Clayface because uh, James Tinian pretty much took the episode Feet of Clay and uh, Clayface's origins there and brought it into the comics. Uh, making it a little different, but still having those basic elements from those uh, episodes in here, which I thought worked really well. It begins with a flashback of Basil Carlo as a little kid talking with his father, you know, who was a, a props a monster maker in for movies during that time, making monster costumes and masks. And he's talking to young Basil how he did it. And he brings out the Renew You formula by Roland Daggett that Matt Hagen used in the animated series. So I thought that was a nice nod. I just thought it was going to be a little, you know, cool little nod to the animated series. But it plays a much bigger role throughout the course of the story. And Basil's caller, Basil Carlos' father is kind of telling his son here is how, you know, I can make anything look, you know, scary with this Renew You formula. I can change my face. This is how I do it and make everything look so real. But then he tells them that, you know, you always got to show people your best face no matter, you know, what else, no matter at all. Because it goes at the end, people might pretend at the movies to be scary, but nobody really loves a real monster. So that bit of advice always stuck with Basil. And then we get transported into the future where Basil Carlos uh, becoming an actor. He's working his way up, becoming a movie star. But there's this one movie he really wants to get the part of. Uh, it's called uh, Second Skin. And I like how... This plays into the original Basil Carlos origin stories way back when Clayface first appeared in the comics because the movie is based on his origin here where it's about an old time silent movie actor kills new actors on the set of a remake of his own movies. And we know that was the original Basil Carlos origin story. And the fact that they're playing that into a movie role that Basil really wants, I thought was a good way to incorporate that. And the reason Basil Carlo really wants that movie is to kind of you know what his dad told him about uh even though you play monsters in movies and you don't nobody really likes the monsters and basil wants to show that if he plays a character uh that people view as a monster but really has you know it's more of a tragedy and he can show the sadness and anger of this character he'll kind of prove his the opposite point to his father and he really wants this role to show that because it plays pretty close to home and he's talking with uh cheryl here who we know is part of the crime syndicate, the one that Clayface uh, induced with the same formula that turned him to Clayface and messed her up and ruined her life. So we're seeing her backstory here, too, and how she knew Basil uh, before she got mixed up with the uh, victim syndicate. I think I said crime syndicate, but it's the victim syndicate. Uh, so the issue continues where Basil finds out as he's driving a car, he got the part, but then he gets a message that um, his father has died, and that causes him to get in a major car accident. Again, going into the Feet of Clay origin story with Matt Hagen, who was in a car accident and, and messes up his face and makes him deformed. And uh, his agent and uh, Cheryl are there trying to uh, are there with him once he comes out of it. 
and you know this agent is telling him oh well i gotta tell the director of this movie that you can't do it anymore i mean like your career is over but basil goes back to his father's apartment and he finds more of the renew you formula and his father showed him how he, he can use it to reshape your face so just like in the animated series he used the renew you formula to fix his deformed face to make him look like he always is and to keep his movie career alive so he goes to the set of second skin as his agent is telling the director no there's no way Basil can do this. You should see him. Like he doesn't look the way he, he used to. There's no way you can use him again. But then Basil walks in saying, you know what? I don't think that's going to be necessary. And he looks just like he did before with the Renew You formula. And so he fires his agent. He gets mad at uh, Cheryl for telling him, you know, how you guys exaggerated how messed up my face was because, because of the accident. I don't want you to say anything or remember anything from that night in the hospital where you saw me, what I looked like. Like, that's not me. And it gets revealed that the Renew You formula is really, you know, taking its toll on him mentally, causing these different mood swings for him. And so uh, Bruce Wayne gets or Batman gets involved when Gordon tells him about the Renew You formula getting stolen from Daggett Industries. So Batman confronts Basil Carlo as he tries to steal more of the formula because he's running out and he needs it to complete uh, the movie role for this part in Second Skin. So Batman enables to stop him, though. And messes up his face by punching him and it reveals his, you know, his real face, how he looks after the accident. And Batman takes him back to the hospital. Um, but he gives Basil here a choice saying, you know, I can you can either help me bring down Daggett. He's not pressing charges because he doesn't want to be involved with anything with Renew You. Uh, so he's not going to press charges. So you can tell this to Dent, show him where the Renew You formula is. Or, you, you know, you could just remain like here and or prove, show everybody that you're actually the monster that you're trying not to be by, you know, going back to the renew you formula and just using it for your own personal gain. So Basil doesn't make the right choice. He goes to, you know, where they have the renew you formula confiscated. He's going to take it for himself. But before he does, there's these two uh, security guard officers there who talk to themselves saying, Hey, Daggett says there's a big payday. If we take out this guy, Basil Carlo from talking to Harvey Dent, so as Basil is going to take the Renew You formula, they shoot it with their guns and it just all gets all over Basil Carlo and transforms him into Clayface. And he goes off to get revenge on, you know, the the movie set where they recast uh, his role in Second Skin. And he just goes to, on a rampage there trying to take out the director, the actor, his agent. Uh, but Batman is able there to stop him from doing any major damage and uh, Clayface is telling him, you know, I've made my choice. You can see me as the real monster that I am. And this is where we see him uh, ruin. Uh, you know, I kept calling her Cheryl, but it's her name's actually Gloria or Gloria as uh, Clayface called her. So I don't know where I got Cheryl born, but her name is her name is Glory. So apologize for messing that up. Uh, but this is where we see Clayface uh, transform Glory into, you know, a, di- a lesser version of him that we see in the victim syndicate uh, team. And so. And just how he ruined her life. And so it's, you know, the issue ends with us seeing that. Then it quickly transforms. And we don't even see Batman subdue Clayface here. It just ends with uh, Clayface uh, transforming Gloria uh, to a monster. And he just says, you know, let me show you all. Like of like how every one of us has a monster inside. And then the last page is a flashback to Basil and his Carl, Basil Carlo and his father, uh, where again, Basil's father tells him, like, promise me you'll never let them see, you know, the monster inside you. And he just goes, yeah, dad, I promise as he's crying. So I thought this was a great, you know, new updated origin for 
Clayface in Rebirth. I just love how it's pretty much like Feet of Clay, where it's an actor who gets in a car accident, needs the renew you formula from Daggett to help him keep his role in movies. But another accident happens that turns him into Clayface, and he just goes on a rampage trying to, you know, get revenge on certain people. So, and it has a more personal touch to it with the young Basil and his car, Basil Carlo and his father. Now he always. Um, said to him to hide the monster from everybody. Don't let anyone see that side of you. So really well done. I really enjoyed this issue and how it played tons of homage to the animated series because I just loved how Feet of Clay and when it did that episode created a new origin for Clayface by incorporating different story aspects from the other previous Clayfaces. And now the comics are taking that and turning it into this origin story for the rebirth version of Basso Carlo. So really well done. I'm going to give this one four out of five times more money that dane has to pay for shipping so yeah that's going to be it for our comic book reviews and our episode so as always thanks everyone for listening and i'll throw the outro to dane as always yeah all right um let's go over to batmanuniverse.net facebook.com slash batman universe twitter handles at batman universe shows twitter handles at batfans podcast if you want to email the show you can email the show at uh batfans without pants at gmail.com oh and also, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311. And my Can't Twitter handles, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my Twitter handles at Dane says banana. Uh, and rate and review us on iTunes. So, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim. We love each and every one of you with all of our bad hearts, no matter how much you pay for shipping. <laughs> <laughs>